to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Lord, welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Adams. Matt Weber on the board. S&P futures up 44. NASDAQ futures up 191. Dow futures up 265. We're trying to get back the game, the loss from Friday, which gave back the gain from Thursday. And wow, up and down again, all in the one and two percent range, which is uh, very, very unusual in my uh, 40 years in this business. Uh, very strange world we live in. Greg, how are you? Doing well. What's, uh, what's the VIX, up or down? Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's down. I got it down. Well, actually, I got it up 38 cents. But the, I don't think I have all my people that know more about this math than I do. I think that these guys are having trouble with these weekends. Our IBETA, we do, do our calculation stuff through. I think they got a problem at weekends, too. With the two days, I mean, you get this phenomenon where the VIX goes down on Friday and then it comes up on Monday. But how can it be down with the market up? Or how could it be up with the market up? It's, it's, there's some some mess up between the Friday and the Monday number. I, I don't. I can't put my mathematical finger on it. But anyway, it, it's uh it's trading around uh, twenty five seventeen, which is below the thirty it was for quite a while. But still, for right. June it's real 100% high. Percent moves up and down. Yeah, I mean it's real high for for June. There's no to be about thirty, right? Um, you know what though? We're, we're within a range. We're kind of just going up and down. We we don't seem to. We haven't had the you know the three four hundred point move in the. Uh, I mean, we haven't had the massive move one way or the other that was going to scare the hell out of anybody. It's up one day and down the next. And even the week the, we had the several week down part. We had the readjustment when the rates went up, but that was somewhat orderly, and uh, it hasn't been any kind of a panic really here yet. Yet, I don't know, or yet, yet is, is well, a term, I guess. There's but. a panic for some of the commodities. Yeah, I think is right around 120 or so. Yeah, oil is 119.41 this morning. Uh, 555 in the burbs, 670 in the city, maybe. Yeah, legitimately. And uh, and there, there's nobody. My brother, uh, who does a little reporting from Stocks and Jacks once in a while, uh, he lives in Evergreen Park, and there's a station on 95th Street that actually is normally fairly discount. Goes up there and gets some gas. Of course, he's got a, <laughs> he doesn't drive very much, and he's got a six-cylinder truck that gets great mileage. So, he, you know, anyway, he starts talking to the guy, and the guy goes, there's nobody here, the owner. He goes, coffee sales are down, water sales are down. He goes, I'm dying. There's nobody here. Now, whether that means people filled up when they, when they kept hearing how it was going to keep going up or whatever, which maybe they did, and now don't need some, or they're just saying, oh, we're not driving as much, or... But, I mean, it just buries the guy. He goes, because I make most of my dough on coffee and pop and all the other stuff. I don't make any gas. When somebody comes in for gas, I don't sell any other stuff. So, I mean, it's it's having an effect. I, speaking of an effect, I want to get some. I called a loss leader. Yeah, well, sort of. I mean, uh, I went to get gas yesterday. Normally, I, you know, I let, Spurman has such a big tank that I make it down to a little less than half and I fill it up to a little more than three quarters every Sunday. Well, I did a lot of driving last week, and I was way down to a quarter, right? Or way less than a quarter. I'm going, Ugh, this is going to be a drink. 
<laughs> so they, they still have the pumps turn off at a hundred bucks, right? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so I go into the lady and I say to her, you know, you guys need to do like, uh, um, uh, well, I said, you, know, you need to do like one of two things. And she goes, what do you mean? And I go, well, you, you cut me off at, at 100 bucks at 17 and a half gallons. It's not even half a tank. <laughs> She's like, oops. <laughs> I guess I guess you could put the credit card back in and do it all over again. But I didn't do that. So, anyway. There you are. <laughs> I'm glad you made it in. So I guess you settled at a half a tank. Uh, settled at a half a tank. So, at uh, at five fifty five, and you know what's even weirder? Normally, when you drive around the burbs, because Odd and I went down to uh, uh, dinner. Where I don't know how we ever got involved in this place, but there's this little bar in Mokina. It's, it's a restaurant bar, and uh, Little Joe's. And somehow or another, we went down there a couple times. And the food's good. And we just we just enjoy the people so much that even though it's you know it's a little trek from her place, we probably go every three four weeks. And we went. Uh, when on Friday, so we went by a lot of stations. Every one of them was five fifty-five. I don't, I don't get that. I don't. They're, they're never usually like that. They're always a few pennies off. Somebody trying to outdo the other guy. But I must have been twenty stations. They're all the exact same number. I don't, I don't know what that I'll means. Just wait until there's a hurricane in the season or something. Yeah. Well, or, or there'll, there'll be some problem with the summer blend. But but driving is. Uh, you know, you get this idea. <laughs> I should wait for Mister Flanagan on this one. You wonder what the hell's wrong with the world. We got this thing about you know you can you can smoke pot whenever you want now, right? The whole damn world is driving stoned. I mean, and, and we <laughs> there's these idiots in front of me. Of course, they got the blacked out car windows and you know the noisy car kind of thing, and they got the moonroof. Every every minute or so, there's a big puff of smoke coming out the moonroof. It's like the Indians giving smoke signals in the old cowboy movies. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> I just it, it, you go you go through Hubbard's Cave. Those that don't know out, out of town, it's a underground part of the expressway here where they decided just to wander a bunch of streets and places that and railroad tracks. And it's a today it would be quite the engineering thing. I mean, back then I probably never thought anything about it. But uh, you go through there and the whole thing just smells like hooch. You go, you go walk across the street here to go to the car at night and walking around the Eisenhower, a car will go by and the whole thing smells like hooch. I mean, I mean, what percentage of people are, are, are stone driving, man? Do you think no, forty percent? Well, I don't know about driving. Maybe, maybe they're thinking they're more uh, talented driving while stoned. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know about driving, but I can tell you, I went to a street fest yesterday on the Do Division Fest, uh, which is a great street fest. Did you bring a little one? Uh, we did, and we were there for a couple hours. But uh, no doubt, I mean, you can't walk ten or fifteen feet without smelling, you know, the big uh, puff of weed. Because uh, everyone has it in the their the pen now, so you don't even have to, you know, pack a bowl or roll a joint or anything like that. Just carry it around in your pocket, and you're just smoking the oil of it, you know, the concentrated oil of it. And um, yeah, it's it's everywhere. Uh, I very it's not as strong, but it, if you're if you're smoking out of the pen, that is, it's not as strong. Uh, but you can certainly smell it. I have a question: Can you uh, can can you buy hash at these places, or is hash out? I think you can, or certain variations of it. I'm not. I'm no expert. I'm not one to ask, but um, but I think you can. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's some of the stuff uh, pretty strong, I think, because you can, you can sure smell it. Well, close the flour, yeah, the flour and, and stuff that you actually you know pack into a, a pipe or the uh, you know the pre rolled joints and, and and things like that. I mean, those are stronger than they've ever been. 
no, unquestionably. I'm talking about what you're smelling, like on the car. No one, very rarely, is someone you know rolling a joint and smoking it while they're driving or while they're walking around. They're, they're carrying around these little pens in their pocket because they're super convenient and easy. That and they make big clouds, but those aren't as strong. Okay, so it's a anyway. It's an it's an ad world we're in, but um, so what's going on with the the commodities? From a safety perspective or whatever, um, it's the same. It's considered the same as smoking. So if you're not allowed to smoke somewhere, you shouldn't be allowed to do the pen. Or I mean, that's that's I think how the restaurants and the public spaces do it. So. Uh, well, so what do you make of this? I I uh, was talking to some people this weekend. You know, and everybody has their their, their political uh, affiliations, and uh, you know that's fine. But I, I don't. I really don't have one at this point. <laughs> I think both parties are not anywhere near for me. One's on one, one side, one's way on the other. But uh, I don't know where that puts me. But the um, I, don't, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't understand the what we're trying to do in this Ukraine situation in the sense of what, what is our economic policy here? The guy's making more money than when we than when we started. The ruble's higher than when we started. You know. You know. You 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 can you can. You know, take some place like Venezuela or something. And if you you can you can do sanctions against some people, but this Russian thing, the guy's got something that other people want, and they're going to find a way to buy it, and they are. So we got him producing. What'd you guess, Greg? Seventy five percent of the oil he used to at two and a half times the price. Where exactly are we hurting him? Uh, if if you had to ask him, he would say, you know, we're putting the squeeze on everybody. And we're going to do it until we get what we want. And in my view, uh, this really hasn't gotten as serious as it could in that those pipelines are all still active. And if you, if you are truly serious about hurting him, you turn those money spigots off. Well, but he, he already has, they already really have. I mean, last week, I think, I think it was last Monday, we went through, uh, why not a bit? It might have been later in the week. I don't know if you heard, but the, I had a couple articles. I think we tweeted them out, didn't we? Uh, some, I think Kevin might have tweeted them out. Might have been Wednesday we were talking about it. The entire global oil trade has changed almost incredibly in the last six weeks. Where some of the com- countries in Europe are down to 20% of using Russian oil when they used to be 80. So, that, I mean, it, it, it is well, really... Well, they're still, they're still paying around, what, $10 billion a month? Well, what I'm saying is the amount of the amount of oil they call it on the water is up to like seventy nine billion a million barrels of Russian oil. They're just sending it all through the Suez Canal down to India and China. And I guess they're—I don't know if they're—I'm assuming they're reselling to somebody. I mean, this stuff—it's just they're just doing the two-step. The guy—the guy, the, the, the guy we wanted to be right now—if we—if we could—if we, we would name our job, would be the guy who runs the Suez Canal. It's like a half million dollars a ship to get through that thing. Or four hundred thousand, some number. It, it's incredible. But so you want to have a good, uh, good port there too. Can't yeah. do anything without their blessing. Yeah. So I, I mean, uh, boy, it, mu- it must cost a lot to operate one of those ships and not want to go around Africa and pay half a million bucks because the thing must do a lot of damage going all the way down around the Cape. But uh, anyway, I mean, I, are, are we going to arrest somebody here who shows up with with Russian oil in a? In a uh, refinery here, you know, you know, you, you can tell. Just like we were talking about the hooch, 
many you know we've had the guy on here uh, our man greg who was used to be in the business if you go into any any one of these shops and take one little grain of hooch take it to a chemist they can tell you what firm it came from what plant it came from everything is dna tested all the way through and there's people that can do that with oil they'll do, <laughs> take a little spigot give it a couple uh, what do they use a mass spectrometer or something they'll say this is russian oil this is venezuela and this is from pennsylvania this is from wyoming so I mean, it's not like you couldn't really trace it if you wanted to, but how serious are we really? Are we just are we just mouthing off? I, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think about if we're mouthing off? Yeah, I mean, if, one of the, if all of a sudden Russian oil ends up in Louisiana, are we are we going to arrest the guy? I don't think so. In theory, yes. Yeah, well, the DOJ actually does does it. Who knows? Well, they used like, to arrest people for Cuban cigars. I mean, it's no different than that, right? Uh, I don't know if they actually arrested them, but you, it was illegal. They, they would they would take them from you and smoke them themselves. <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion, they're trying to outlast him. I mean, in that, as long as he's uh, squeezed for say food that Ukraine might be shipping, or if maybe he can keep it, but. They're they're trying to bleed them until the citizens kind of turn, and who knows if that happens or how long it takes. But they see the American companies leaving; they're going to have a lot of problems getting the oil out of the ground now that all the oil field services companies have left. And the citizens do see that what their uh, consumer options in terms of American providers of whatever are all leaving. So, I mean, that's that's a big hit in. As long as it doesn't cost us troops, I think they're going to keep doing that until the Russians kind of turn on Putin or something happens like that. But but the money's still going. So if have we turned the screws yet, or have the Ukrainians really gotten serious? In my opinion, no. Well, I just I'm, I'm not. I actually think that uh, the administration has handled this Ukraine thing about as well as they could have. To be honest with you. But I'm saying if, if you and I, I would hope that if you and I were the economists and Mr. Weber running this program at the end of six months, we would not have expected the ruble to be higher than when we started. We would say, we would, ho- I would hope we would have a, a, sit down, have a beer and have a heart to heart and say, what are we doing wrong here? Cause that shouldn't, that shouldn't be the result if we're doing it right, is all I'm saying. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying we should be troops. I'm not criticizing really anything that they have planned to do. And uh, I think we've probably given as much help as we can without getting really involved. But, I mean, you have, you have to look at the economic thing and say, is this working out? It's like, you know, you got all your pitchers blowing a split finger, and at the end of two weeks you're giving up ten runs a game. You're going to sit there and say, we really want these guys throwing a pitch they can't pitch. I mean, you know, it's the same thing. Is, is it working? But I, One of the, the constant themes of the show is, is not, or for, for all the people on the show, it's not that you criticize people for, Making a decision and and doing something because that's that's what you want people to do. And once in a while, you make a mistake. You make a mistake trading all the time, right, Greg? I mean, it's like if we shot ourselves every time we made a bad trade, we'd have been dead years ago, right? Uh, right. But the point is, you you have to after two weeks of saying, "Man, I, I think this oil's coming down, but it's going up every day. Maybe I should change my tune." We just never seem to get this sort of reflection in government. I mean, if, if it was me, I would say. Are we sure we're doing this right? It looks to me like the guy's got more money now than when he, when he started. That would be my question. Now, maybe maybe we are doing it right. Maybe there's no other way of doing it. But at least you would say, really? <laughs> that, that's not the end. You told me you're going to bury the ruble. The ruble seems higher. What are you doing? 
Is, I mean, is that is that a fair question? I think it is. You wonder how much of that money is going towards uh, the army and how much of it they're actually keeping, because net net, you've got to imagine that all the logistics related to occupying and and droning or whatever they're doing in terms of getting their troops and supplies to Ukraine. I mean, that's got to be as draining as uh, as any military campaign they've had in what 20 years 30 years oh at least yeah i mean it's got to be it's got to be burying them i mean so i'm saying i but I, I would i think the way to have done it would have been getting more oil from here let's put it this way i think if oil was was 50 dollars a barrel the guy'd be out of business oh definitely but that's not that's a non-starter here you can't drill and you can't do anything uh to the environment so that's just not going to happen and he knows that yeah, well, uh, we, we we seem to have many different directions we're going here. We need oil. I don't think, I don't think the population is ready for the group that says to go all electric and seems to have all the money in the world, saying that the rest of the people have to drive to work making fifteen dollars an hour with five fifty gas. I think I think that's a non-starter in this election. Oh, well, well you could ha- buy the uh, seventy thousand dollar electric car. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the <laughs> ladies I was, I was talking to yesterday, she. Just went out and uh, and bought a car, and uh, and you know she uses it a lot, and she's terrific. Um, but you know the weird part is now is that they're charging you so much for the new car that you're happy as a clam what they gave you for the old car. And I'm sitting there going, well, first of all, she's very happy with the transaction, so I wasn't about to do my usual deep dive, <laughs> like a, like I'm good at to p- pisses people off, you know I. I'm just one of these dudes, and maybe it's maybe it's my finance background that I want to know exactly how much I'm paying for the new one. And after I do, I'm going to ask you how much you're giving me for my old one. I want the actual cash price, and I want the real price of the new one. But if you're in the car business, you never do that to anybody. You you never you say, okay, I'll give you thirty thousand for your old car. Meanwhile, the new one's you know sixty five or some incredible number. And you sit there and go, why the hell am I paying sixty five? So they've got people paying full list for these new cars, and they're telling people they're really giving you this for the old one. But really, I don't, I don't see that as a. It, it's the trade that's the difference. In my view, I would just kind of jack the MSRP and then say offer the zero percent financing. Well, yeah, well that that works too. But uh, are they still doing that? <laughs> I I don't know if it's zero, but it's definitely still low not like yeah it's not you know, financing is the i yeah. think they're re- rebooting uh gmac or one iteration of that you know what's spun off to be ally their gm's going to start being a big creditor now well they have been for that's what they made all their money for years gmac general motors yeah. for back in the day uh most of the money they made was in in uh, well, GMAC for sure. Most of the money they made was in financing the cars on dealers' lots. We want you to give us our full full commodity review here in a second, but that was one of the biggest differences between Chrysler and General Motors and Ford. General Motors, I know this because Audrey's uncle owned a Oldsmobile dealer, and he actually this GM would send him as consultants to, as a consultant to other dealers. They they hated him because he bought every car he bought, he bought cash. Never financed a dime. So they they made their money by 
talking you into having 100 cars on a lot, and you're paying the juice on all 100 cars, the GMAC, which is fine if they're all come, they're flying off the lot, but it's not so good if they aren't. Now, Dodge, I think, on the other hand, or Chrysler, they they f- would finance the lot. So you'd go by a Chrysler doing it, all these like yellow and blue cars on there. <laughs> Who wants a yellow car? Because Chrysler would put them, just say, here, put them on the lot, they'll go. And then if they didn't, it was kind of on them, not on the dealer. Totally different package, which is somewhat weird. All right, so give us the full, uh, what's going on in the grains and so forth. We we need, we need your complete, uh, whatever, uh, substance of what's going on here. Is the grain still going up? Is a good good crop, bad crop? Uh, you know, decent crop, and they've done a really good job of planting what they could over the past week and a half, and we're almost back on schedule, except for, say, North Dakota and Minnesota, who just didn't have the weather, so they're going to be short there. But otherwise, I would say we got pretty lucky in that the weather stayed nice. They got back to their five-year averages in terms of planting. I think uh, corn and beans are right there, so... The wheat, not so much, but corn and beans got right back on the schedule, which was, which was looking not so great, you know. What's, so what's, what's short up in, uh. Corn probably about, what, seven, seven to seven and a half, depending on which contract you're looking at. Uh, beans probably anywhere from 15 to 17, depending where you're looking. So, still 30% higher than last year, but. And wheat is probably fifty percent higher than last year at the same time, but uh, not not the worst. The North Dakota Minnesota is it corn or is it beans or both? Uh, they are going to be short a lot of wheat, so that's not so great. I think they grow fifteen percent of our our wheat and fifteen percent of our corn. So when when you say they're that's where the short they're is. short the, the fields just got nothing there or weeds or what. What do, they, what do they have? Yeah, the planting never really happened because the weather wasn't so good. So now they're facing a decision in that you could either start planting and, and their, their uh, government subsidies kind of go down after you know the last plant date. They go down, I think, a percent a day or something. Their insurance goes down. So you, you face a decision whether it's worth it to still plant or not. So what, what they're doing now in the government side is saying, well, maybe we're going to ease some of those provide full we just want you to plant and see what comes up so what's what's if you're a farmer what's the fallback position like hay or something i mean it's only the joke. fallback is you get paid by the government oh you just you just leave it you just leave it right you don't try and right. put peas or beans or anything in there that's a short-term crop or anything right you get you get possibly uh, a credit and that's that's it really so you get your feet up on the desk and get a check. Well, <laughs> you you don't get you take all the risk if you start planting after these dates. You know, within the next I think week, uh, if you start planting, that's just a m- much more of a risk to you. So you can take the reduced uh, insurance, or you could just not and avoid the avoid the. Uh, we, well, in the last, the in what, in the last 30, 40 years, let's say 40, combination of different seeds, those kinds of things. The last bad time, I think, was 2012, and then the prices were like this, kind of. So if you had inflation adjusted, they might have even been worse when there was a, a worse kind of drought-type bad weather situation. 
Manny, what was the year we played we played ball at uh we had the huge drought that summer. I didn't even get a mosquito bite the whole it summer. It was probably twelve. Was it twelve, Manny? The whole fields were just like definitely could have been, yeah. Yeah. It was just the whole there was they couldn't walk. It was it was like the, the grass was broken. You walk it wasn't even like, you know, it was gonna come back or anything. It was just nothing. But I, my question was in the last thirty, forty years, what between the seeds and I guess I'll give a toss out the global warming or weather change, was it hasn't the the corn line where you could you could actually plant corn going up an average of like five miles a year or something further north. Uh, I would ex- I would probably imagine that has more to do with fertilizer and the the uh, irrigation techniques and the seeds too probably right it doesn't take quite as long to get aren't some some strains of corn now it used to be what a hundred days and then it's down to what like eighty five or ninety or something it, every year you could find they have a seed that. Is one or two days less, right? Yeah, those are the expensive ones. So, so. But I mean, that's how you no, ended I'm up with. I mean, I, I don't think in 1965 you were growing corn in uh, in in North in South Dakota or Minnesota or very much <laughs> of it. Just saying. I mean, uh, Tom Grassafi, one of the one of the uh, big wigs at Advanced Trading, always <laughs> says that North Dakota was the armpit. Oh. <laughs> I, we drove through uh, South Dakota once. It's uh, it's interesting. It was the dead of winter. We we're going skiing in Wyoming, and uh, it's like you know, two hundred miles to Mount Rushmore, one hundred ninety-eight miles to Mount Rushmore, one hundred ninety-six. Up, oh, you just passed Mount Rushmore. <laughs> that was pretty much it. I don't make it a a shout out at the. Hey, uh, you know, there's there's one advantage to being uh, older. You know, guys, just saying. Um, allegedly, the, every day. <laughs> you're still alive. But the, allegedly, the. Uh, Old vaccines for smallpox that those of us have, they think are still 85% effective against monkeypox, even though we got them like 60 years ago. Wow. I didn't realize they stopped giving smallpox vaccinations in 1972. That's a long time ago. Yeah, I definitely don't have a smallpox vaccination. How do I get one? Um, I don't even think they're around anymore. I don't think you can get one. There are there, is, there are there are some monkeypox vaccinations around. On the, uh, the conservative I think people, we found our next uh, pandemic. Yeah, well, uh, stay away from Boys Town. That's claim that's where it is. I don't know what I don't get the connection there, but anyway. So what uh, if we're if we're trading grains this week? What do we want to do? Uh, for me, always sell vol. <laughs> well, you're you're a premium seller, guy. I don't care which is which way it goes as long as I'm collecting data. Oh God. What's that? What's that uh, product that Monty's trading of the Vixie or something? Something where he, he when he gets up to twenty, he sells something. When he goes down to ten, it sells something. He sells something else. I don't even know what the hell it is. It's one of those contrived products. So you you mostly are a, a crush guy, right? So you're you're in the uh, yeah the, the soybeans yeah. and the, the, the bean crush. So the products, the meal and oil of the bean versus the cash price of the beans or the bean price. So is that uh, expanding you've got credit or credit associated with processing the bean? Is that expanding or contracting the crush price? So, right now, in the front month, it went from two dollars to like eighty eighty cents. So we started out last year right around you know ninety cents or eighty cents, and over the past year and a half or a year, we've gone up to two, and now right back down to to uh, ninety, under ninety. If you look at it this morning, it's down six cents. Wow. To give you an idea of the moves. You know, it's not uncommon for it to move five or ten percent a day. Oh, that's a lot. 
All right, bud, take care of yourself. We'll see yeah. you. SP Futures up 45, NASDAQ Futures up 189. Erasing Friday's losses so far. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Amos. Go over the board. SP Futures up 45. SP Futures up 182. Dow Futures up 276. Individual stocks in the Dow. American Express up 267. Apple up a dollar 98. Uh, Coleman Sachs up 357. IBM up 131. Microsoft up 350. So everything is kind of moving up here. Even uh, Salesforce up 229. Uh, anyway, it looks like we're trying to get back, get back everything we lost on Friday. Up, down, up, down. We've been doing over in Europe. We got the DAX up 138, that's 1%. FTSE up 85, 1.1%. CAC run up 70, 1.1%. Uh, over in Asia, NCAP 154.5%. Shanghai up 40, that's 1.3%. Hang Seng with a big bounce, course they were down on front. These, these guys up, down, up, down too. Up 571, at 2.7%. Um, uh, on Friday, that was down 348, S&P down 68, Nasdaq down 304. So it was a bit, really big down there. It took away the whole week. Um, so again, we're trying to bounce back and make that up. 10-year, 2.95, that's unchanged. The bond 1.27, that's unchanged. Japan, uh, positive 0.24, again, that's unchanged. So not much going on in the bond market today. Oil up 48 cents, 119.35. Went up 52 cents, 120.24. Natural gas up 40 cents, uh, it's 8.92, trying to push for $9 again. Our Bob down two cents at 4.22, but uh, 4.22 is like really high for 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 the wholesale gas. 
Uh, gold up 550, 18.55. Silver up 47 cents. That's a big move with silver. 2.2%. 22.30. But it never really breaks out. Goes from 21.50 up to like maybe 23, 23 and a half, then right back down. Copper down 4 cents, 4.42. And we've got Bitcoin up with 1300 bucks, 31,387. Matty, what do you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports? 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. Off to a pretty good start here on a Monday morning. Uh, as folks are heading in to work, no issues on the Edens. Traffic starting to build on the Kennedy, Eisenhower, and Stevenson, but no accidents to report. Same could be said for the Southside Expressways. Lakeshore Drive is quiet in both directions as well. We, of course, will we'll let you know if that should change. Only crash in the area looks like it's out in the uh, western suburbs. Medina Road at Irving Park, there is an accident. But everything else looking good out there. Weather today, clouds early. Then we'll see some storms rolling in uh, later on this afternoon. We'll reach a high of 76 with rain in the forecast. Right now it's cloudy and 69 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 104 today. Right now it's clear and 80 in sports, the White Sox beat the Rays 6-5 to last or yesterday afternoon. Sox have won two in a row. Cubs dropped three out of their five against St. Louis, uh, blowing a 3-2 lead in the ninth last night before losing to the Cardinals 5-3 to in 11 innings. Diamondbacks were shut out by the Pirates 3 to nothing. Uh, so we actually will take a quick Monday morning look at our Major League Baseball standings uh, just to kind of give you uh, a taste of where we're at as uh, we're about, a, what, a little over 50 games into the season uh, for most teams. The uh, White Sox are 25 and 27. Like I mentioned, they've won two in a row, but they're just four and six in their last ten. And uh, the Sox are five games back of first place Minnesota. They're in third place in the AL Central. Cubs uh, having a forgettable season, 23 and 32, and they're nine and a half back of first place Milwaukee, uh, but they're behind Pittsburgh, St. Louis, and the Brewers in the NL Central. And the Diamondbacks, after a pretty good start to the season, are now 26 and 29. They're just three and seven in their last ten, and they find themselves nine and a half back as well in the NL West. Lastly, Game 2 of the NBA Finals was last night, and it was a two-point game at the half, but then Golden State jumped all over the Celtics in the third quarter and ended up winning 107-88, to evening up that series at one game apiece. Chief. Do we have Mr. Flanagan? We do. You sure do, Tom. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, too. Uh, so, Matty, uh, did, you were listening to the game. It was on Fox, right, last night? The uh, what game? Cubs. No, the Cubs were on Fox on Saturday. Last They're, night oh, they were on ESPN. Well, the, the announcers were not kind to the Ricketts. Uh, last night? Yeah. Yeah, that was the ESPN crew. I watched a good chunk of the game, didn't see all of it, uh, so I actually missed those comments, but I did see, you know, see some people spouting off about it on Twitter. Uh, they were saying they've got nobody to build around. They've got some people that are interesting, this Morrell and a couple of the pitchers. They've got some people that look like they might be pieces, but there's no, because there's no, there's no obvious plan at all. It's not like they, so St. Louis went out and got a Goldschmidt and they built around him. He goes, one guy goes, what about like Patrick Wisdom? He goes, the guy's 31. How do you build it? I mean, I, I really like Patrick Wisdom, and I think with Swindell had a big week. Uh, well, I agree with you. I mean, you, your, your sort of cornerstone pieces right now are Wisdom and Schwindel, who are both, you know, 30, 31, and are kind of journeymen that have, that have really, they've kind of, you know, struck gold on in the last, 
you know, second half of last season and beginning part of this year, but they're not pieces you would consider building around. And then they gave uh, money to uh, Seiya Suzuki out of Japan, who they, they think is a cornerstone piece in right field. He's hurt right now, but he had a pretty good start to the season. He's kind of leveled off a little bit, but they, they like him. And then, uh, yeah, you have some young guys um, that are interesting. You know, Horner is, uh, you know, still before his prime. Hap is maybe just now entering his prime. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Madrigal, not sure what we have with him. He was pretty good with the Sox before he got hurt. He's been, you know, sort of battling injury this year and been up and down. Morell is really an interesting piece. And then they have some, some guys in the lower minor leagues that are really good, both pitchers and prospects, but they're a couple years away. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of guys that are a little too old to get excited about and then guys that are still too young to get excited about. So unless they make a drastic change, they're still two, three years away as far as I can tell. Well, but they're, they're making a fortune by having the people still, you know, gushing about the World Series and paying, paying these prices. This had to be the hardest week for a season ticket holder I, I could even conceive. Two See, weeks. I wonder, are they making a fortune? Because I haven't seen that stadium 100% full more than, what, four or five times this year? Well, my, it's, I'm, that's my point is I, I don't know what, uh, John chime in here whenever you want, but I, I don't, something's wrong. Every, every I mean, I'm not at the triple, I've been a couple nights a week with my judges and lawyer buddies, but I don't, every, every place I see, Matt, there's nobody there. I mean, that's th- my point. I mean, uh, but I mean, but they, even like last night, it used to be no matter what happened, the blue collar folks like me up in the upper deck, when they paid for their tickets, they had everybody got their fifteen games apiece. Didn't matter if it was twenty degrees; you were there. There's nights the upper deck is half full. And what do you do to somebody yesterday? You start drinking at what? If you want, I don't know if they have to drink. Twelve thirty, and you're supposed to still be there. What time did the second game get over last night? Oh, that was Saturday. On but, Saturday? but on Saturday, but it still it was what? Started at six fifteen. Uh, it was a four hour game. Yeah, probably trends? got over at ten. Yeah. It's, that's a long freaking The Cubs, day. by the way, are eighth in the MLB in attendance right now in 2022. They have them at, at home averaging in paid attendance 31,856. Um, I'm saying it's under, which under 18. They're almost about, what? what's their capacity? Just under 40,000? Or 39 or something. Yeah. yeah, so they're not even close to full, and that's just in tickets sold. And then you and I doing the eye test know that obviously there's really bad weather in April. So I'll, I'll even yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt or April. But even as the weather's gotten better, they're still not full. Well, plus the work- you, even if they had powerhouse teams to get fans in there, as, as uh, we've all said before, the, the games are endless. The, the hassles are endless. The, the prices are through the roof for food and drink. And you know, even if you could really be entertained by what was going on in the field, there's so many other reasons why you don't want to get involved. I, I just think they're fighting a losing battle. I, I don't know who is nobody getting the message in the higher ups. I don't, I don't understand how they're letting this happen, but they seem to be pretty comfortable with it. I will say of the top uh, like ten or eleven teams um, that uh, you know, I'm just just eyeballing this. The Cubs appear to be the only one of those that is not good. So I do think uh, whether your team is good or not really factors in here. And then in the bottom half of attendance is is mostly bad teams. <laughs> well, I mean the Hawks are riding riding the season ticket bounty from the Stanley Cup teams, and this this team the last two years has been one of the worst teams in hockey. Of course, but there, it's not just that they're that they're bad. There's no. It's not like there's a lot of. It's not like there's a young Bobby Hull or Stan McKee out there you can't wait to go watch. But I actually love watching this Morel kid play. Uh, 
but the uh, he's been great. I mean, I I hope I we know a regression is coming because it always does. But so far, the first month of his career, he's been unbelievable. Yeah, but he's got a great arm. He plays Play, plays position. multiple positions. Yeah. He's fast. He's energetic. He's got got a good eye at the plate, which yeah. typically young guys don't. Somehow he does. I like Horner too. Yeah, Horner. I mean, they they have some guys yeah. that are fun to watch, and they're, they're actually playing a pretty good brand of ball. As far as uh, Kevin put it really well last week, the, their style of play is actually very pleasing. They just yeah. don't have an, enough good players. <laughs> so it's like they're, they they're playing ball the right way. Maybe even more so than they did uh, with you know the, the the tail end of their core guys from the World Series team that was either home run or strikeout. They just don't have enough talent. I don't, I don't understand what. I mean, the, the, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Well, I'm not going to criticize. I'm just going to question. I don't. I don't see how you you used to have people. I'm not saying every that somebody should play 162 games. I'm not, I'm not going to make that statement. But this idea that you constantly protect a guy from the the pitcher, if, he, if he's a righty, you don't pay, you don't play him against luck. I think at the end of five or six years, where you got people playing all these multiple positions, there's there's like one one play a game that your best right fielder would have got that the other guy doesn't get. I don't, I don't see how you come back from that, man. I mean, it, there, there's a reason why Ryan Sandberg played every day. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why Ryan Sandberg played I mean, on his worst day. He was better than anybody else you had. I mean, I, you know, are these guys? They're not. They're just not that interchangeable. Did you see yesterday through five innings, uh, there was zero strikeouts in the game by either side? Yeah. Well, the, the inning with the, the lefty pitch. I can't, I don't think I've seen that no. ever. Yeah. And certainly not in the last 20 plus years where it's, it's, you know, like I said, strikeout or home run. There was zero strikeouts by either team through five innings. And it was guys putting the ball in play. And it makes the game a lot more fun to watch and it goes faster too. Well, I, 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 like I say the, the running and the meeting the ball, the Cubs are doing way better. Like Kevin says, but even the Sox the other night, I was watching them and they, they got the catcher playing first base. The guy wings one over to him and he misses it. Well, that was an error to cost him a run. It cost him the, yeah. cost him the, I mean, I mean, you, you don't, I, I, I don't know. It, it, you put Patrick Wisdom in center field. I guess you can get away with hoping nobody gets the ball. Remember, remember, John, we play Sunday, Sunday softball and sometimes this guy, you know, seven innings, the guys want to play nine innings. They, they just love the game, right? Well, the guy who runs the league, Bob, Bob was a really good player back when he was younger. He was a really good hitter. And he's not a bad first baseman or somebody. He puts himself at shortstop, right? He had a great day. He didn't get a ball nine innings. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, you can get away with it if you put me out in right field for the Cubs and everybody hits the left for nine innings. But if they start, if they start hitting to me, you got a problem, right? <laughs> even I could shine, Tom. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't, I, I, the idea that they're, that, that they're that they're milking these ticket prices and stuff with, with what what is their their salary now? It's got to be one of the lowest in baseball, except for Haywood. And, uh, now guys last night are convinced that they're trading uh, Contreras, Happ, and like three of the relief pitchers that are good. I uh, wouldn't be surprised at all. Now, if they do that again, then what do they got? They're just trying to restock the farm system, and, and they have a lot a good good core group of pitchers in the minor leagues. We've seen a couple of them come up and have been really good so far, uh, but they're. Position players are still, like I mentioned, outside of Morrell, are still a couple years away. So they're going to try to get more and 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 sort of build the way they did the last time, and that can work again. But it's 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 tough to do that when last time the ticket prices were a quarter of what they are now. Yeah, and they were still too high for you. You gave them up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I gave them up because I had them for business. And I couldn't give them away. Well, I don't blame you. Yeah, I mean, if, if somebody were just taking them, I would have been happy to eat the price. By the way, Cubs payroll. It says they're 14th in baseball, so call it average, nearly average, 148 million. 
And what's their ticket price? Is going to be top five, right? White Sox actually have a higher payroll than the Cubs. White Sox is 195 million payroll, seventh in baseball. Mets and jo- Dodgers and Yankees are by far the top three, and of course, by far they're the top three best teams in baseball. Weird how that works. Um, and then Phillies have been disappointing, which is why Joe Girardi just got fired because they're number four and they've they're below 500. Oh, you didn't get fired? I, yeah, I think Joe's a great manager, but I don't know what. The, why are the Phillies that tough to manage? Sandberg couldn't do anything they want them either. Good question. They are. I don't know if it's the ownership or what it is, but it, it's crazy stuff. Uh, I, I just wonder how long you think you can get, you know, AAA players, at, you know, major league prices. I mean, what if you had a skybox? How could you? How could you have filled it up this weekend with all those games when you had to get people out and get people in? I, I, whatever, but. Uh, John, I wanted to shift gears here huge. A, I know you've done a lot of work on the taxes stuff in the city, and uh, and also wanted to talk to you about this. Uh, I did some work this weekend on this baby formula shortage. And as usual, I find stuff that I I can't even believe that it's a it's a government inspired monopoly or, or uh, cartel. Let's let's save that. Why don't Why don't you uh, talk a little bit about? You know, the question came up on uh, on uh, Friday or Thursday, which and uh, you know what what. What is going on with these downtown buildings? Because the building we're in, I'm, I'm hearing rumors that the tax bill just went up like dramatically. And there's four, after COVID, there's four f- empty floors. So how the guy can pay almost double he paid two years ago, I, I have no idea, John. But, uh, what, I mean, is the city just going to lob these number, these bills out there and hope some people pay? I mean, there's how many of these places are in foreclosure for guys? They are close to it. Uh, yeah, well, the number of distressed properties is, is probably, you know, enough to make your jaw drop. You can't really get a good tally on it. I wonder, Tom, if, you know, starting about 30, 40 years ago when the, when the downtown, you know, the legal market, the office market, it began to shift westward. And when, when the building at 525 West Monroe was built, um, and Cat Muchin was the lead tenant in it, everybody downtown was scratching their heads. Like, why would you move there? That seemed to be, in the middle of nowhere. It was close to the train stations, but it wasn't close to anything else. And it seemed like a, a, a really bold move. Well, that, that clearly was, you know, somebody knew or had a, you know, a, a say in how things would develop. Because look at what's happened in the last 30 years. The, the, the whole move away from the loop is dramatic. So the, the entertainment part of the loop is gone. The, the loop is this moribund housing project now really at night there's nothing there other than hotels apartment buildings and empty office buildings and i i guess maybe the, the city the county the assessor all everybody who has been privy to this and watched it happen realizes it's a sinking ship and you know maybe it's going to be finally finished off and everything will have to be turned over or sold at fire sale prices and then they'll have some other plan for it what that is i don't know i bet somebody's got some input about it though but it looks like they're, they're trying to engineer a complete you know just pull the rug out from under everything in downtown and let the older buildings you know await the demolition ball in hopes of, of something else that I, I don't know if that's ever going to make a profit either unless somebody really well, how long them. was how long was black 37 uh, just a pile of dirt 20 years yeah and it's, and it's, it's little more than that now yeah. I was going to say some would argue it still is a pile of dirt <laughs> Great unfinished whatever you know. I was I was on my high horse about that when they were doing the, the demolition of the McCarthy building. 
Dearborn and, and Randolph, the old or Dearborn and Washington, the old, you know, built right after the fire. And you know, they, they could have kept that building and built the other thing around it. No, they demolished that and everything else. Well, how many and, movie theaters went down? Like three or four? Yeah, the the, the Stop and Shop and the Hillmans and all all those buildings along Washington. Oh, it was Street. the Woods and the uh, United Artists. They went down, right? They were on the street. Yeah, they were they were not on Block Thirty Seven, but uh, the I thought, they were. I thought they were on the other side of. They're across the street from the Oriental. I thought they were. Yeah, yeah, and, and the the Woods. You know, that's that's over where um, now we're Petarino's restaurant and the you know the, the refigured Goodman Theater. Um, but all that was part of some grand plan, you know, to make this a, a theater district. And um, the, the Block Thirty Seven thing really never worked from the get go. And it, it's ironic that that's where the, you know, the WBBM studios are. Well, they stole. It gives the impression that this is the you know the, the heart of the city, and the building is anything but that. Well, they stole some of the TIF money from there, I think, to re to reshore up Millennium Park because it wasn't strong enough when they put that bean on top of it that weighs like 90, 90 zillion tons, right? Right. Or some some weird stuff. That they, they, didn't they steal money from that TIF and, and move it over to Millennium Park's TIF? I guess the only thing you can say is that I'm glad they. They foresaw that because if they hadn't, <laughs> we'd be looking at that hole in the ground where the spire was supposed to be too. God, well, I mean, I, I don't. So, somebody, let's put it this way: even, even, even Maddie Weber, the young young family with the long old doll, little doll baby, and uh, uh, they have a, a time frame a lot different than you and me. But I don't see even them having a time frame to where. You hope you tear the whole gut out of the inner part of the city, buy stuff up at ten cents on the buck, and hundred years from now, you know your grandkids are. Who the hell has that kind of time? Or I do, the only people that do, and I've seen it right, when I, when I, right in front of my face. You were in Chicago and DePaul. They, whenever the area, no matter how bad it got, whenever they got a chance, they buy a little piece of land, buy a little piece of land, because they, they've got the two hundred year plan. They, they plan on being here, you know, in the year twenty five twenty five, right? So, other than the university. Who, who has that kind of time horizon? I mean, no business does. Well, maybe some well, and, do. And you see, you know, at one time, they had this elaborate plan to abandon Hyde Park and move to Flossmoor. They had the, the plans and, you know, all this, you know, they, because they, they felt that Hyde Park was just a dying proposition, that the, the city was not growing in that direction, and then the U, university was fighting a losing battle trying to stay there. And it was Richard J. Daly who pleaded with them not to leave. And, you know, just sort of became one of their big boosters. This was one of the stranger alliances, maybe, but not so strange, because Daly had a long-term plan, too. And the idea of not having the University of Chicago in Chicago was unthinkable to him, but the university back then had given up on the city. Well, you couldn't go across. There's or the, late there's, 40s, early 50s. So, well, there was the um, Midway, where I used to park. Then it went, like, one more half a block, where, like, the law school and stuff. Anything past that, you were you were in Blackstone Ranger territory. You were in Woodlawn, and the city couldn't wait to tear the the L down from Cottage Grove to Stony Island because they don't want anybody to be able to make it all the way to Stony Island. They've done a lot of weird stuff, but this downtown fiasco, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see who, who's got the time frame for this. I mean, somebody's going to buy one seventy five West Jackson at twenty cents on the buck, but when does that come back? I mean. The, the idea of losing the thousands and thousands of jobs at the exchanges and having five people pouring the money in the, the markets in, crummy markets and making bazillions a day. Whoever decides this stuff, John, I mean, I, I don't know what the, whoever those people are. I, 
Which, but anyway, why don't you go through some of the numbers? The second half hour here, I want to talk a lot about this baby formula stuff. The more I read about this, I'm reading Bloomberg this morning. I'm just, I'm incensed. But go ahead. So, what what are the numbers? What and, and what happens if somebody gets this bill and just can't pay it? What do they do? Well, they you know they can appeal it, and you know there's just time limits on doing that, and you know you can't if you think it's you know been doubled in, in this assessment. You may be able to get a reduction to, you know, maybe it's only a 75% increase or something. It's not going to be, it's going to stay the same. And you're, you're still looking at, you know, poorer prospects in the next couple of years for getting more tenants in to support your mortgage payments and your tax bills. I, I think it's going to force people out of you know, this business completely. And of course that, that just, you know, has a cascading effect for lenders, developers, whatever. The, sh- the short-term developers who, w- who were in it to get a building up and running in five or ten years, they, they can't play this kind of game because there's there's no way you can turn it around in that short a time period. But there are long-range players, things like, like BlackRock, that, that seems to be doing this already with the way they've, they've captured so much of the residential market. They, they have a plan that can outlast, I think, any developer with, with using private money or, or capital sources. And if they've got a plan for it, they're not going to let anybody else participate in it or benefit from it, and they're not going to be too open about what it is either. So I think you're, we're, every city, I think, and any any city with a crumbling infrastructure and you know f- fleeing downtown you know, businesses like like all American cities seem to be suffering, they're kind of at the, at the beck and call of these bigger developments that see this as just kind of a, a passing phenomenon. They can be in it for the long haul. Um, God knows what we'll end up with or, or what kind of role you or I or anybody else would play in it. But uh, somebody's got a plan for it, definitely. I got the role we're going to play, the role we always play. We're the pigeon. <laughs> we're the fish. I mean, we're, that's what we do. But just to give everybody an example, it's 175. The reason why I know a lot about it is because we were there for 15 years. Um, it's, it's the third biggest building in the city, second or fourth. It's a full square block, and it's what twenty stories. So, yeah. in the Merchandise yeah. Mart and the, and the Willis Tower, it was the third biggest. It's, some of these other ones are probably bigger now, but uh, the they were a, a B building back in the day, and uh, they had you know it was in there was the Social Security had like one or two floors, and then the. Uh, uh, alcohol, tobacco, firearms had a big area, and they even had a, a, a cell up there where they'd bring in people that they arrested. And they had all kinds of people like that. Well, at one point, when they finished the Dirksen building, Social Security moved over there, so they, they kept paying their $9 a foot lease while they went over there and paid 30 This is what our government does. So the building is going kind of downhill. They get bought by these diamond guys out of New York. I think they poured a hundred and some billion million into the place. Uh, John went floor by floor because we had to move two, three times. We had a lease. We go, we're not leaving. You find a spot for us. And, uh, so we ended up staying till kind of the bitter end. Then we moved over here and we've been happy here. But, uh, the CVS, they opened up a CVS downstairs. Really nice people. Huge prescription business. They were always mapped. The rent was seventeen five a month. I have my sources, which they were happy to pay. But they also said, what do you call the lease where you got to, every time the tax goes up, your lease goes up to go with it? Yeah, what's the index? What's it uh, it's your something, triple something, something, triple net, whatever. Yeah. But as as the as the like the water bill and all that stuff goes up, 
your lease just marches up with it. Well, three years ago they decided, well, we're pulling out. The, the, the extra dough as the city gleefully piled on the taxes is now these guys are getting law firms, are getting trading firms, are doing real well because it became, you know, pretty much type A in a lot of areas. And, uh, put a big, you know, dome over one spot so not much heat's on it. The whole nine yards. So they, uh, CVS says it was up to quarter million dollars a year on the taxes and the other stuff. They added on to their lease. So it became almost as much as the, as the lease. And they said, you gotta lower the lease because this thing's like another lease. What are you doing to us? And so Billy said, we can't do it. They were out of there in two weeks. Yeah. The entire place, pharmacy, every aisle, every every piece of gum, every piece of candy is gone. And how, how do you how do you replace that? The entire first floor, but Plug Mahone's, the bar restaurant left. And all of a sudden, it's it's a. And the weird part is, a lot of your big companies want a place to have lunch or dinner, or lunch or breakfast, or and some drinks in the building. So as soon as Plug Mahone's left, the next year they lost like twenty percent of their tenants. Not saying that's a direct correlation, but that, it's pretty direct, I think. Well, but you know, probably is. And so now, all of a sudden, like in uh, one of the buildings, a smaller building near it, we're going from two forty two years ago to four hundred. They want this year, right? In the taxes, and how, how the hell do you send that check in? And and so now, the one set the stand one seventy five. The bill comes there. What do they do with it? Shove it where the sun don't shine. I mean, they're not paying. There's no way they can pay it. There's nobody there. Yeah, they could just, just sit on it, and it'll go to a tax sale. How does that? And you know, how does that work? It'll, it'll collect interest until it gets paid. You can redeem from it. You know, the owner can, but you have to pay the arrearage, so that you know the, the interest on it is accumulating every month that the bill is unpaid. If it doesn't um, get redeemed, then you know, if you can accumulate three years of tax sales that are unredeemed. It goes to a scavenger sale, and the, the county will make whatever it can, and not worry about bringing the whole bill current again. But you know that means that you've got you know what what tax you know buyer is going to want 175 West Jackson, given where it is, the kind of climate we're in now. There isn't enough money in the world to make that a going concern when you got everything else around it distressed and falling apart and empty. So it's. It's, it's kind of a thing, well, it, it, at any price, the building is not an attractive proposition. And to, to demolish it is not a viable well, thing well, either. Well, well, that going to take a lot of money. And then, and then what do you get, a, a hunk of dirt or another building that you can't rent? So, Well, what, I mean, I think a lot of it, and what percentage would you say is which, a lot of it is there are times, well, back in the day, there are times when it was a massive advantage to be somewhere where your people can get to work, <clears throat> I'm going to say 70s and 80s, your your people can get to work for two bucks a day and back on a system that runs pretty good. And the buses and trains here, I mean, I think still run pretty good, actually. Uh, but now, well, the homeless people on them and everything, maybe not so hot. But in terms of running, you, you want it to be in that area because of the family, not going to be sexist on this, but you could have, one car and whoever needed the car took the car and the other person hopped the L and we're downtown in, you know, 20 minutes for, for a buck. Well, now th- that was a major advantage, but now you don't want to be near there because all the undesirables can get here for a buck too or two bucks. And there's no place to eat for lunch. And it used to be you know, a great selling point if you work in a building that had a variety of eateries, you, you, you're 
employers loved it because you didn't have to walk to hell and gone to grab a bite to eat and waste time extending your lunch hour. You could eat in the building and be back in a timely way, and it was good for you. It was, you know, the food was affordable. It was cheap. You, you could build it into your budget. If you wanted to repeat that today, where would you eat downtown? In a, oh, yeah, in a place you could afford to eat and not have to walk a, a long distance and pay a lot of money or eat some kind of faceless meal in a franchise that you can get any, anywhere. There's nothing special about it. it I, I, just, I just don't see any attraction in that if you're trying to lure people into the loop to have an affordable day working in a vibrant part of the city. What's, what's vibrant about it anymore? It's a downer for people. Well, when I, when I was working for Pullman downtown for a little while, if you were if you were a male that had a pulse, if you if you didn't find your way one or two days a week, cutting through Marshall Fields, not not to smell the perfume, but to to watch the, to see the scenery, buying the perfume, there's something wrong with you. Just saying. Remember the the heyday of First National Plaza time? Oh God, oh God! And you know, when you descend these stairways on three sides of the of the plaza, and there was there was live music, there's people sitting outside eating your lunch. It was like the, the Spanish stairs in Rome. Yeah. Better, yeah. Only better. These are all people you could actually speak to. They spoke your language, and you could talk to them. And you met people. You could hook up with people. It was it was a from everybody said they're you know dressed to their best, their most attractive way, well, and on a beautiful day. That was one. Of, that was one of the most scenic places in Chicago, just for the people. Uh, and it was great fun. And I mean, if you looked at that thing lately, oh yeah, over there. <laughs> it's kind of scary, John. What I just. Uh, I've been intrigued by this baby formula thing, and uh, talked a little bit about it last week when Maddie was here and how uh, he was was getting his from out of the for the little one out of the country and so forth. But this turns out there's a there's a terrific article here in Bloomberg by Madison Mueller and L E A H is that male or female Lee Lee Nyland um, on May twentieth uh, two thousand twenty two. It's well evidently there's something I didn't know <clears throat> that a lot of a lot of older people need baby formula. D- did you know that? Uh, formula isn't just for babies. April Crowhair desperately needs it for her 14-year-old son due to medical complications and a rare great brain disorder called, ugh, listen, listen, something, something. His only source of nutrition comes from infant, male, infant formula through a feeding tube. Uh, they relied on uh, Abbott Laboratories' hypoallergenic brand Elecare. You ever heard of that, Maddie? Elecare? to feed Charlie for almost half his life until his specialty formula was pulled off shelves in February. Um, been frantically searching for it uh, for, since then and has had some real problem. They think, they think well, I don't know, hopefully they find something else. But the decades of market, this is why I can't even, this incenses me. Decades of market consolidation in the U.S. have resulted in problems like the one that Crow Harris and millions of other American families are now facing. Four companies, Abbott, Perigo, who are they? Uh, Nestle, I don't know who those guys are. And Mead Johnson, I don't know who they are. Control 90% of the U.S. supply of formula. Right away, that should, that should, you look at this and you go, wait a minute, this is, we're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, something used for, uh, chemotherapy here. This is baby formula. I mean, most people should be able, not most, but I mean, a lot of people should be able to make that. The risk of that concentration only came into sharp relief recently. And the Food and Drug Administration, you know, uh, recalled some of Abbott's brands. You know, blah blah blah. All right, but 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 the that that is <clears throat> that's just part of it. Um, but you ever hear? Would you ever hear something called the WIC? 
the food assistance program? Yeah. Yeah. The story of how those shelves ended up empty dates back years. The COVID-19 pandemic disrupted the supply chain for formula like it did for so many other household essentials. It also dates back decades to the 1972 creation of the federal program to feed infants, a special special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children, more commonly known as WIC. Well, thank God they got the WIC in there because you couldn't say it. This This makes WIC a crucial factor in the formula market. Now, here's the part I don't get. Well, actually, I do get. I, I get people getting the money stuffed in their ass pocket. In 1989, <clears throat> listen to this. Congress mandated that all states adopt competitive bidding for their WIC program. Under the law, states are required to award a formula contract to the lowest bidder. In most cases, leaving one company in control of the entire state's WIC formula allocation. This is, this is the same business model that Walmart uses with micro, microwave oven producers in China. You know, you, you, you mandate what you're going to, you know, the, the lowest possible price, or you, know, you don't have any business, period. Well, when you're down to four people, is, uh, did you ever take a, a class from Father Fitzgerald in Notre Dame? No, I've heard about him, never took him. He, uh, he would talk about monopolies all the time. <laughs> one one of the groups had uh, and it was in Chicago or New York or someplace. There were four road construction companies, and whatever phase of the moon they each had a phase of the moon. Whichever phase of the moon was theirs, they got to bid a little more than the other three for for the project and got it. And if it was a different phase of the moon, the other guy got it next time. So let me get this straight: these four companies don't know they're the only people that are in the. One gets one state, one's going to get the next. I'm not accusing them of anything. I'm just saying, how could you not even think that was going to happen? Anyway. Well, I guess the only only I can figure, it's a blessing that it's four and not one. Because that that seems to be the way it's headed. Um, Milton Friedman thought that actually one would be better. He he thought a monopoly would end up being more efficient than a cartel. Whether he's right about that. Because he said he didn't have the time to study it, but it would have been an interesting study. Anyway. questionable that it would be any worse than what we have now. Yeah. So. Well, says Abbott has become the major player through the system. The company now providing the formula for nearly half the babies. F- over 50% of the formula sold in the country is paid for by this program. That's how big it is. So 50% of the babies in the country are being fed by the federal government. Now, I think kids who need to eat uh, you know, should, should certainly not starve, but 50%? Paid for it. What, what, what we get, when do we miss the part where People, you know, have an attraction for each other. That's the whole part of the mating game. You get married, you work, you get a house, you take care of your kids, you pay for your own crap. When, when, when do we kind of lose this, John? It, clearly it is lost. It's how you, get, you know, getting the government involved in procuring things on this scale, I'm trying to think of a good example of it. I mean, a, a beneficial example where it actually helps an industry to flourish and to experiment and to diversify and to prevent, you know, supply chain issues or, you know, shortages from happening. I, I just think when, as, as soon as the government is involved as a procurer or d- dictates the terms under which some commodity is going to be produced and consumed and controls that, uh, you've got trouble. Uh, there's no government anywhere that is smart enough or efficient enough to make that you know, guarantee a fair result. So, 
you know, the, the WIC thing is an example of how in, you know, this laudable goal of having children fed, but according to the government's dictates, now you've got it so that nobody can get the product. <laughs> well, I mean, this, this article, I, mean, I really, whoever wrote this, WIC contracts play a big role, and this is, this is even more fascinating, play a big role in how a formula maker does in a given state with other consumers as well. When a manufacturer cleanses a state contract and boosts sales of its product to non-WIC consumers, according to a study the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Economic Research Service. Boy, I'd like to be in there. What are those guys get paid? Which analyzed the program's effect on infant formula market. The opposite is also true. Get a this. When a manufacturer loses its WIC contract, its market share in the non-WIC segment drops dramatically. For example, in August 2007, California switched its WC contract from Abbott to Mead Johnson. I don't know who Mead Johnson is. And Abbott's market share in the state with both WIC and non-WIC consumers dropped to 5% from 90% within like a year. 90 to 5? That That is unbelievable. The, uh, I mean, I, uh, the same study showed in a 30-state analysis the manufacturers of one state WIC contracts experienced an average 18-point increase in market share among non-WIC com- customers. So, I so there's they only they're only allowing four people. So then one person has a problem, and everybody's got. I mean, who who decided on only four? Who, why not ten? And, and why 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 can't you share in a state? And what makes these things people think they're not rigging a bid? I mean, well, yeah, I think you have to assume all these bids are rigged. At <laughs> that kind of level, how could you have a fair system? Boy, but how would you how would you rig enough where somebody would lose California though? Well, it shows that you know Abbott didn't have much bargaining power in that at all, did they? <laughs> that kind of of, of you know your you, subservience to you know a mandated consumer. I mean, it's one thing if you could go out and sell to whoever you wanted. If you could sell to a school district, even to a board of education, whatever, it would be a fairer system because you could always make up losses in one area by you know, trying harder in some other area. But when you got the, the Department of Education or the Department of Agriculture or whatever controlling that whole process, you, you make it impossible to, to turn a profit if they decide you're not going to do it. And, and they can whittle away with you or at you or can, they can just, you know, completely collapse you overnight if they feel like it. And that, that kind of control is, to me, there's nothing capitalistic about that at all. Well, here, wait a minute. Now, we, we're criticizing this. Uh, we should be relieved now. Federal Trade Commission Chair Lena Khan, gee, whatever, I'm not going to say anything, told the House panel Wednesday that the agency would look at the mergers that contribute to the current fragile state of the market. They're going to look at them. So, oh, thanks. So, we okay with this, Maddie? <laughs> They're going to look at it. <laughs> Here, no, this gets even better. I mean, I, I'm, surpri- I'm sorry for going through this whole thing, but it's, it's, it's stunning. It hasn't helped the trade and regulatory restrictions make imports of infant formula rare. FDA labeling rules prevent imports of formula made in Europe since most lack the required U.S. nutrition information. Infant formula can import it is also subject to an additional tax of 17.5. is a big number. United States-Mexico Canada agreement by, adopted by the Trump administration in 2020 also restricts infant formula imports from Canada, part of an effort to protect U.S. dairy farmers from being undercut by Canadian rivals. Um, so now we can't even get the stuff from Canada because there's something wrong with their stuff. The, uh, it says here, the antitrust laws are supposed to prevent this from happening, but they haven't been ze- they haven't been zealously enforced in years. 
zealously. <laughs> I didn't even know there were any antitrust laws. Tom. What laws? What do you mean by zealous? Where have I been? <laughs> what, what does zealousy mean, Benny? <laughs> God, you, your softball team going for their first beer, that, that's zealous. I mean, I, what are we doing here? I, I, I'd like to know how that article got through the editorial process, because I doubt if that sentence was written that way the first time around. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I mean, but you know, it's it's funny, Jan. I I know it's out there. I, I'm just stunned. Every single industry that you never even thought of. I never had a baby, so I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know much about it. So I mean, I never even. Th- this is incredible. Why why you would mandate one contract per company per state? Who would even do such a thing? It's like saying, well, if you were beholden to that contractor. And you know, have been bought and paid for, and you're a politician. You can get a bill written to make it to happen. Of course, it's going to happen. But are, are they are they even are they even bidding on price, or what are they bidding on? It sounds like they're just bidding on control and access. Well, there must. I mean, I I, I can't imagine that somebody's going to come in like a penny or two less because the stuff's maybe it is. And then and then all of a sudden, why why do you suppose there's such a big drag on the uh, rest of the people? I mean, if let me get this, I mean, Maddie. If you were buying the stuff from Abbott in Illinois, and we're in, and, and uh, Jill was happy with it, the little the little little one was loving it, and all of a sudden Illinois lost the contract. Abbott lost the contract in Illinois. Why would you care? I, mean, why, why, I don't understand why why you would change to something else. But it seems like people do. Does the play? Does the company just leave the state then, or what? Good question. And why? Because why would it affect you? I mean, I I have no idea if uh, you know if somebody has the you know the craft cheese market. What cheese I buy? Why would I care? Where I even? Why, how would I even know? It sounds like they've got their fingers also in the the marketing end of it. Where, however, this is, you know, it's decided who will actually carry it on their shelves, and they've got to have a certain amount of it there, or they they don't get any of it, and they have to have a certain guaranteed number of sales, or they they pull it completely. Um, that, that's just that's a system gone haywire. All right, does anybody have any idea how this uh, W... Now, I guess, well, I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you guys can help. Maybe somebody will tweet in. Okay, so I'm a, a, I'm a person who qualifies for this WIC, so the government's helping me pay for baby formula for my kid. All right, I get that part. you have any idea how that works? Does that mean if I go to Walmart, I can only buy that brand on my whatever card Probably. I have? I would, without investigating it, I'll, I'll kind of stick my neck out, but I'm sure well, that's, crazy. that's how a lot of these things work, that you, you have to buy through a certain vendor, and you have to buy in a certain quantity, and you have to, you know, if it's on an auto ship basis or whatever to get that price. And then unless you want to go along with that, you pay a different rate completely. Okay, so that, that boy, that would be, that would be even weirder. Yep, well, but I think that's kind of, the, I think that's the norm now for a lot of things, Tom. Especially you know when, when there's any kind of government assistance involved, because it's it's all been arranged so that not only do the manufacturers make a certain amount of money from it, but anybody who touches the product makes a certain amount from but it. But I would I would I would I would never have guessed that. So, so in other words, if you if you take your well, it used to be a food stamp card or whatever you want to call it, if I take that in, I I only get the discount on Domino Sugar, not the other brand. I mean, it, right. Right. really, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't at all. You know, surprise me because I can think of other examples of that in the past where when there's any kind of subsidy involved, the subsidy applies to a brand sold at a particular store, chain of stores, whatever, and elsewhere, you know, no, 
So we're not talking about your my, my, if you get your prescriptions through like the vet or somebody, the prescriptions are sent to your house. So we're not talking in this thing about they're giving you some kind of credit and you go on Amazon and, and or whatever it is. And we're talking about people going to the store, but this is the only one that they can get on the card or something. That's that's even I would never have dreamed it was that crazy. So there's four of them on the shelf, and only one of them you get for the cheaper price. Yep. That's yep. that's. Yeah. It's astounding, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I can't even. I can't. And, and, and who wouldn't see a problem with that? If if you knew, and of course I I don't know the, the full extent of this or how long it's been going on or the whole 19, history. Nineteen eighty nine, really. If, if you knew about it, you're you're fully aware of it. Wouldn't you see some danger on the horizon? I don't mm-hmm. know, especially when it's with something as, as essential as baby formula. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't, and, and then. How can how can you shut the plant down? Not know what you just did. Plus, I mean, you, you know something's weird when uh, the other the other places. I mean, if it was any other industry, I mean, let's put it this way: if they shut down our favorite favorite bar, we'd find a way to get a beer tonight. There's enough saloons around, right? And we brew our own if we had. We'd brew our own. I would. Oh, but we'd we'd, we'd drink Dan's Bam Shelter Brewing Company. Good enough to be your last. Is that the slow slow? <laughs> Anyway, but you would I mean, you would think that uh, I was talking to my nephew. He had well, a truck problems. We had to drive you home last night, and he works for a manufacturing firm. It's a small firm, and unfortunately, the guy who runs a place is not doing so hot. But um, and he, I might have to want him on the show one of these days because actually with you, John, because or with Kevin, because they all of a sudden are getting queries from a lot of places because they make specialized machine stuff. Where, like, if you if you're gonna say you have a place you want to increase the size of it, you need a big conveyor belt or something. Well, these guys can make the conveyor belt for you. I mean, there's so, there's so much involved. It's I mean, I'm so happy I had somewhat of a manufacturing background at Pullman at least for a little while. It, you don't the understanding that you get of how involved the supply chain stuff is. I hate to use that term because it's used a hundred bazillion times a day. Of of how it, what it takes to actually. They have a place that does you know ten parts a week and says, "Oh my God, we can we can make a hundred. It just it's, it's not a question of working Saturday morning. Usually now you might need conveyors where people used to walk this stuff. It, it's it's a big deal, and and, it, and it's not only it's a big deal, it's fascinating. I mean, it, it really is fascinating. The guys that can design this stuff and and uh, and make it more make it efficient so you can actually uh, you know ramp up your production, keeping your quality control the way it is and so forth. But his firm. They're starting to get all these queries, like from everybody. I mean, not starting the last couple of years, and you know they were down a couple of get COVID. They shut down for a week, I and mean, it was been a rough couple of years for those guys. That was back in the day where if one person got it, Jen, you like were scrubbing the ceiling, that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, it's there, but everybody's just kind of con- confused as to what it's like going forward. I mean, there's a reason why somebody doesn't look at this baby formula thing and say. Holy bleep! It's been two months or three months. I can I can do that. You know, I we're, we're losing our our ability, and I don't know if it's because everybody realizes that these are all little cartels. You really can't break in, or you'll be all right for a month, and then they'll shut you down. Or there, there's there's something something wrong. There's a monkey wrench in the system here, John. It's not just supply chain, and that there, there's a lot going on here that you wonder how far it goes back, how much of it is. Regulatory. How much of it is fear of regulatory? There's, there's, 
there's a jumble here I just can't unwind. Can you? No, it's been engineered in a way, too, that we've been protected, or that's the wrong word, we've been prevented from knowing really how this system works. So all the stuff you're talking about today with WIC and baby formula and so on, I have to say I've never explored, I've never heard about it, I certainly never read anything about it. it the, the, the benefit of nobody knowing the inner workings of this is that in the event of a crisis, nobody really knows where to start in order to do an end run around it. There's no way to intervene in a system that has been so completely engineered to prevent scrutiny and cost savings and adaptability in crisis situations so that when a crisis really does arise, unless it happens from the, the innermost circles of the, the things driving this stuff, it's not going to happen at all. There's no way you can interject into it and, and make a stab at fixing it somehow, even for a short term. It, this, the system just does not permit that, and I would say you'd be financially ruined and embarrassed and humiliated if you tried to do it. What um, If you had to take a guess, I might ask uh, Professor Hal or Russell, in fact, I will ask Professor Hal, that's what professors are for, right? They have all the answers. Um, what would you guess, since 1989, since this is a kind of a contrived system, what would you guess, and may I love your opinion too, what do you suppose the price of baby formula has been in excess of what it would have been in a competitive industry for the last, since 1989, which is, which is what, 31 years, 33 years? When, is it, you think it's 5%, 10%, 2%, 30%? I, I have no way, even my, my academic background, I'm, I'd say it's, it's up there, but I don't know how much. I, I, it's probably not 40. But, but it know, could be 80. <laughs> no, I, 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 but it's probably 25. Yeah. You know, because it's... Um, the, thing we, the thing is, we don't know, yeah. Tom. And we know it's not there's zero. A, there's an advantage to certain people in our not knowing that, too. Well, I mean, Abbott Labs loves being in non-competitive industries. And I'm sure the people up top are very well paid, and they make absolutely sure that their industries remain as non-competitive as possible. Right? I mean, it's... Yeah, and, uh, and, and the regulatory agencies, the, the FDA, all these things have, have participated in this and protected the big players and punished the small players. Well, there was a takeover Friday. We get a chance to. I'll mean, talk more about it uh, uh, tomorrow. But there was a takeover Friday by. Uh, it, was, it was one of the bigger firms. Uh, it wasn't uh, Pfizer? It was a uh, was a Bristol Myers? Somebody took over the small firm for like. Oh yeah. Uh, um, uh, but it was like for two and a half times the, the market price. The, the stock was up, up like seventy bucks or something, and it was uh, was it Bristol Myers? I think it might have been. They were the acquirer. Yeah, they, they were the acquirer, and it was, there was some cancer drug. Now, there's no way this little firm would have ever gotten that cancer drug through FDA testing, uh, and, and and competed against these big people. And I'm sure the the, the price was you'll. You guys will run this place. You got enough stock. You're gonna, you're gonna be rich before the dreams of avarice. Let us take it. You've, you've done your job. You got it this far. Now let us take the rest of the way. How much of this is going on? Where all these people do is sit around, observe through their patents how much money they're making, and just pick off anybody else who's got a new product. Right. They they either buy up the patents that they know are going to be money money makers, or they sabotage the ones that they yeah. don't have access to, and they don't want anybody else to have access to it either. And, and there's no, and, and they make sure you don't get through uh, right, the FDA. Regulatory agencies. I mean, the the, the, the drug business is, is like 
allowing bad drugs because they're more profitable. This is like, to me, it's becoming like the oldest and most boring story in the whole COVID history. That you know, should the story ever be told, you know, we would immediately scrap the FDA and the CDC, God knows what else, and figure we can't do worse if we have no agencies that are doing this kind of damage. We, can, we maybe we can come up with better ones, but let's dump the ones we've been relying. Oh yeah, it's, on. it's time to start over on a lot of this stuff. But I, I have a. Uh had a lot of clients um, that really were involved. I know some people in the neighborhood, Maddie, that uh, uh, really get involved. In, let's just say there's a certain section of the population that uh, a lot of a lot of doctors, a lot of attorneys, not going to go into nationalities or religion here, but everybody knows where I'm going, that really know a lot about what's going on in those industries. There's a lot of small firms, a lot of things like that, which I, I don't. Okay, so... These guys get involved in these small companies that have a product, whatever it is, it's a device or it's a in legitimate places, and they're, and they're not they're not trading any kind of information. They just hear about it through doctor buddies and stuff, and all this stuff's public. And they buy into these places because they love the product, and they're thinking, "How can this thing miss?" I actually went to Toronto to uh, talk to one guy who was having problems with his, and he ended up buying something, getting a, a marketing agreement with Merck or something, and Merck didn't know if they to market his because. They ended up with their own right next to it, so they basically buried the guy. And uh, and, I, and I finally had a conversation with these guys, but they they lose every single time. And you know, and and, and the regulators are convinced that they're, you know, that they're they're tied in. <laughs> they're not tied in. They've never won. <laughs> They've never won. <laughs> How can you be tied in if you never win, right? Now the people who are tied in are the people who knew the Bristol Myers going to die. Guy by these guys the other day, right? Finally, I sit down with a couple, and I said, guys, you got to understand, this business is crooked. Even if you find the right place, one day you're going to find a winner. But the winner should be a hundred bucks, and somebody's going to buy them out at ten. You're, you're never going to really get the value for a winner because the industry is so crooked. And these guys that's are looking at me exactly like I got right. looking at me like I got three head. I go, come on! I've seen you guys lose time and time again, and and and, and products that are good. One was uh, this one was a, a device that that the uh, enzymes were. If you go in and you got like heart heart problems. They they'd give you a test and they'd look for some enzymes. Where if you had a heart attack, they're actually damaged body and that your your body's trying to repair the heart. So it's, so as a high how high those enzymes are, they can tell you how bad of a heart attack you had just chemically. Well, this guy came up with a device where you could do that in the ambulance in like ten minutes. They, they nobody wanted any part of it. I mean, they shut him down totally because the amount of money into the other testing units in the hospital was just too high. Then there was another one where these guys had stem cells, and they had really good stem cells, and now all of a sudden they're out of business. I, mean, I said, you got to understand, this, this torpedoing of these companies is relentless by these guys. They just can't get anywhere. All of a sudden there's a problem. They're going to a quiet period, and they'll, they'll, and they'll say that the chairman's a crook and drive the stock down. Everything they possibly can to screw you guys. So you you, you got to get out of this. I'm tired to see I'm tired to see well, you lose. You it know? makes a mockery of all the you know the yeah. high prices going to fund research and development oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. because a big part of their budget is in advertising the drugs they want to sell you and sabotaging the drugs they don't want you to know about. Oh, yeah. That to me is not research and development. No, all right, Jan, we got a dash, but we had Carl today on today because he was not on on Friday. We're talking about the labor numbers. This should be good. Thank you, Jan. So sure, we'll talk that. to you later in the week. SP futures up 44. Nasdaq futures up 186. Back, Mr. Carl Denninger. Thank you.
Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. I'm just Brett Weber. The board SP futures up 45. NASDAQ futures up 189. Uh, we've got individual stocks. The Dow American Express up 316. Everything's up. Caterpillar's down a dollar. Uh, Jonathan Johnson's down 27 cents, but everything else is up, up. So we're trying to get back on a big down day on Friday. Uh, there's a big up day on Thursday, so it's uh, back and forth, back and forth here. But, uh, who knows? Today might hang in there. We'll see. Uh, Dow futures up 253 over in Europe. 
We've got the uh, DAX up 171, 1.2%. So it's rallies everywhere here. Uh, FTSE up 99, 1.3%. CAC around up 85, 1.3%. Renasia, the uh, um, Nikkei up 154.6%. Shanghai up 40, 1.3%. Hang Seng up 571, 2.7%. I forgot we've got the consumer price number coming out on Friday. And the big deal is now we think we've... Inflation is peaked. It's behind us. Don't worry about it. It's the party line. Uh, Dow Jones on Friday down 348. S&P down 68. NASDAQ down 304. So we are roughly two-thirds of the way back. Uh, we'll, do, we'll say this to Fibonacci. What do you think, Matty? Fibonacci retracement here? <laughs> uh, bonds up two basis points, nine, 2.98. Getting real close to three. Uh, the bond positive 0.1.28. Again, as high as it keeps creeping up as well. Japan never moves. 0.24. Oil. Uh, down 35 cents, 118.52. Brent down 29 cents, 119.43. Natural gas up 46 cents to 8.99. One more penny to be over nine dollars. Our Bob down six cents, 4.19. We've got gold up a little bit, up five bucks, 18.55. Silver on a big move, however, up two and a half percent, 49 cents, 22.40. Uh, and we've got the crypto is uh, Bitcoin's up 1431,410. Yeah, for Trevi Weather Sports, man. Is it rain out or what's it going to do here? It's going to rain a little bit later. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. Traffic uh, behaving itself so far on a Monday. We're seeing some uh, volumes building on the Edens Kennedy, Eisenhower, Stevenson, but no accidents to report all morning, so that's great news. Southside Expressways uh, moving at normal speeds as well. Same for Lakeshore Drive. Only crash in the area right now is out in the western suburbs. Ogden Avenue at Finley Road, there is a crash. But everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, clouds early, and then as we just uh, said, some rain moving in this afternoon and possible thunderstorms. A high of 76. Right now it's cloudy and 69 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunny with a high of 104 today. Right now it's clear and 81. In sports, it was the White Sox topping the Rays 6-5. Cubs lost to the Cardinals in 11 innings, 5-3. D-backs were shut out by the Pirates, 3-0. And the NBA Finals are, are now two games in, and the series is tied at one game apiece as Golden State pulled away in the second half to beat the Celtics at home, 107-88. to Chief. What do you like there, by the way? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I think... Uh I think the Celtics are more of a two-way team, um, and and I kind of like them, but I don't know if they're too young uh, to beat an experienced Golden State team. They might not be ready yet. I think they're more talented, and I think they're potentially even better defensively, but uh, the fact that they're so young worries me. So if I had to bet, I would say Golden State in seven, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Boston won. Carl, do you have a... First of all, Carl, are you with us? You made it through the marathon? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. You made it through the marathon, half marathon? How'd you do? Well, I, you know, the half was, uh, it was very pretty, and um, not uh, not my best time that I've ever recorded for uh, such a race, and uh, that was largely due to the fact that uh, nature required that I stop uh, for something that, uh, well, it's, you know, you try to avoid that happening, but sometimes you fail at it, and then uh, you need to find a porta potty rather rapidly, so... Uh, <laughs> That can happen. And that can affect the time, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, all the time you spend from when you go over that first mat until you go over the second one counts. And if, if some of it is not spent moving, it still gets charged against you. So, <laughs> Oh, I think something was moving, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, something was moving. It just wasn't my feet at that particular moment. <laughs> so. The... Uh, 
Hopefully there wasn't a line to give it a darn thing, but anywho. Well, there, there, there was, which made it even worse because there's, um, they, they have them, this, this particular organization that does these races is actually pretty good about it. A lot of them only have one, uh, on a half marathon course, and so you, you, you know, if you get in serious trouble, you really are in trouble. But, uh, these guys had them every, about every two and a half miles, and I, and I saw the line, and I was coming up on it, and I'm like, I'm not taking the gamble, I'll make the next one. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I did a, uh, we did a 10 mile race on a lake, lake shore a long time ago, and a few of the guys on the trading floor, and I was running with my buddies, and he's better runner than me, but I actually was doing, you know, I was in pretty good shape, I really trained for it a little bit, and, uh, so I, my buddy goes, hey, I'll see you at the finish line. Well, I won. He had the same issue. He had to head off to the... <laughs> so, so to this day, I can always say I beat him in the one race we ran against, although I don't think I would have had he not uh, had to make a pit stop, shall we say. So uh, Yeah, you know, it's uh, just uh, there's some, sometimes things just don't go quite according to plan. No, close no. I covered it pretty heavily earlier, but... Uh, this, this this idea with this WIC program and that it's in from Florida, I had no idea of this that they they only have one person per state and they go out for some kind of bid. This is, this is unconscionable, Carl. Who, who oh no, this this. But you know what? <laughs> this this is what has happened generally in America. Okay, I mean, you take a look at what's going on. Just look at what's going on right now with fuels, and this is very similar to what happened with nuclear power after Jimmy Carter was in office. Jimmy Carter, and I've talked about this before on the show, and I've written several articles about it as well over the years, so people don't understand this. Jimmy Carter, and, and in fact, by the way, it's nowhere in his presidential library in the public section. Go If you ever, ever visit his library, I have, and you go look for it, you won't find it. Um, he signed a, an executive order that banned reprocessing of nuclear fuel. And he did it because he believed in his heart of hearts. And, and the guy was not stupid. He was a nuclear engineer in, you know, in the Navy. So, I mean, he, he knew exactly what he was doing. He believed that it was impossible for America to run a civilian nuclear power program and not have massive problems with accidents and, of course, you know, mass death that would come from that if we had a plant blow up. And so he, he shut down reprocessing with the full intention that this would, over time, not in a day, because he couldn't shut down nuclear power generation as president. You would have to do that with a bill through Congress. But by shutting down the fuel reprocessing, he knew that eventually there would be nowhere to put the waste, and there would be no way to handle it, and essentially he would strangle the industry, but it would take 20 or 30 years to happen. Well, it did, okay? Um, Reagan voided that order on his first day in office, but it didn't do anything because the companies that had invested in reprocessing plants lost their money, and they weren't going to do it again. They were simply not going to put anything into it because their investment had essentially been confiscated by the fiat of Jimmy Carter as president of the United States. And so that's the same sort of thing, though, uh, happened here. And part of the reason that you have gas prices where they are today, and by the way, in the last week, they're up another 10%. So anybody who thinks that this thing's over is out of their mind. Well, I just paid um, 5.55. Last week it was 5.15, so. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, I'm watching it not only where I am now, but, you know, in my old stomping grounds and stuff. And it's, it's, it's basically across the board. I mean, I'm seeing prices go up, you know, from one day to the next as we're traveling, which is really nasty. But, uh, 
the the thing is is that the Biden did the same thing. He said that on his first day in office, he was going to cancel leases, he was going to shut down production, and he was going to do everything he could to stop refineries from being able to produce fuels. And one of the things that he did, which is which nobody's paying any attention to, is that he had the, his EPA issued an order mandating that E10 go to E15. Okay, so 15% ethanol instead of 10% ethanol, which most vehicles that have been made in the last 20 years or so can burn without a problem, even though the manufacturers say, you know, E10 is it unless you have flex fuel, which my truck does. Um, but, but nonetheless, E15 will actually run in 95% of those without any problems. But what they did is, is when they did this, the people said, we don't have the ethanol capacity to meet that standard. It's not possible. Okay, so with the demand for gasoline being what it is, the amount of ethanol that we need, which, by the way, is not the same ethanol that is used to make hooch, it's it's processed differently, um, and in fact, it's, you you wouldn't want to drink that stuff. It's nasty. It's it uses different feedstock and it's a different process, and so yeah. The industry said, you know, this is all fantastic, and, and, you know, the farmers love it because, you know, they they have a captive market for their corn and da-da-da-da. Fine, except that you're putting a capacity bottleneck into the production of fuel. Well, what do you think that... What happens when you constrain the supply of something with demand being at a given level? Well, you got a problem. Price well, price goes up, right? Well, you, we have a problem. They probably think it's a good idea. By the way... uh um, as a guy who's toured a couple of these ethanol plants, I might push back a little bit. The guy says you actually can drink it. You're just going to get one hell of a headache because it, it's missing the last re- filtering and stuff they do to booze. Is it what you well, right. So basically the bottom line is that method, the reason when, when you distill alcohol for uses for drinking purposes, you have to get all the methanol out right, of it. Right, right. Because that's you know in, in sufficient quantity that now, see, that's so, kill you. How do you know that? Do you got a still or something? <laughs> well, well, you know. So like, when you do it, if, if you're going to distill your own booze, the first cut that comes off your still when you're running a batch has to be thrown out because right. that stuff actually has enough methanol in it that could harm you or even kill you. Uh, but the that that same amount going into an engine the engine laughs at it it, it doesn't care it'll burn it just like anything else the the biggest you do have to have it at a, a relatively low level though because methanol is very corrosive to a lot of right. internal engine parts including especially aluminum so you know there's you have a lot of the racing engines use a, a higher methanol blend on purpose because it has better octane um, but but for road motors uh, there, there is a contamination problem at a certain level, but it, it's much, much higher than it would be if you're going to drink it. Well, um, hey, get to, let's get to these n- numbers, Ted. You're, you're, yeah. you're our expert, accent expert. Uh, I, I was looking at them Friday without you here, and I, I didn't report it any because you weren't here. Um, numbers look, look, first of all, they don't seem to match the ADP at all, but, but secondly, they, uh, they look pretty good. Well, uh, careful. That's <laughs> okay, why I didn't so say anything until you were here. The, yeah, the majority of the ads, all but 30-some thousand of the ads last month, all came from people that came back from the, we don't know what the blankety-blank they're doing bucket. I know, but isn't that what we want to have happen? Um, that depends on why they did that. 
if they were forced into the labor market as a result of not being able to eat, it's bad. Well, I mean, we, we, uh, hey, I got a, a question that's gonna cut across a lot of, a lot of areas here. And one of the, uh, one of my friends, um, had, uh, anyway, issue with a family member this weekend and person's, uh, pushing 30. Uh, guess doesn't really, never really had job. I don't know. I've probably come across 10 of those people in the last three or four months. How many people, you know, they're, they're still living with the parents and they won't move and they're, well, not that you need to move. I stayed, I stayed, well, I lived at home till I was 32, but I paid board. <laughs> I was like a renter and I worked right. and I was trading during the day and remodeling houses on weekends. So to, as long as I had a bed, it's, I didn't really, I didn't need to have an apartment. But then, as soon as I did, to stop doing that, I moved out. And uh, but I also paid. It was a whole different program than some of the, these new people seem to be on. I probably run like ten or every one of these parents now have one guy who's thirty five, never has a job, kind of hangs around, maybe helps out around the house. Maybe what is the story? How many, how many of these people are out there? Well, it's, it's that's one of the things that's very difficult. And then the the question. You know, I don't know that anybody has an accurate answer, but then the other question that you have to ask is, is is that just pure laziness and, you know, DGAF, right? Uh, to not use one of the words you're not supposed to say on television right. or radio. Uh, but and, and how much of that is because the market has gotten so distorted that you actually can't get there from here? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting out near Jackson Hole right now, okay? And... That area, just for grins and giggles, I pulled up Realtor.com and took a look at you know what the real estate market looks like out here. Sub thousand square foot postage stamps are north of five hundred grand. Well, so that implies that the rent for an apartment is probably three thousand dollars a month. And it's kind of a lot for a school structure. Well, and here's and here's the problem with that. How there's a grocery store. I go into the grocery store because you know I, my my refrigerator freezer in my in my camper is you know is getting kind of low. And we need some more eggs and you know, the usual stuff, right? So we go to the grocery store. We buy it. Well, guess what? There's people working in the grocery store. Where do they live? Well, the uh, we because I, I guarantee you, chief, at twenty bucks an hour, even if they're making twenty bucks an hour, you can't possibly survive on that in this area. It's impossible. Way, way back in the day, Carl, uh, actually before the 87 crash, we spent, a few of us went out to college. I'd gone skiing so many times, I wasn't that great of a skier, but I loved it. And, uh, and they would always say, you gotta come to Colorado in the summertime. You know, that's, that's the time you gotta be out there. It's gorgeous. So right. three, three of us sat out there and we went to Steamboat for a few days and we went to Breckenridge for a few days. Steamboat was okay because, uh, it's, it's the center of a, of a farming community, ranching community, so, I mean, there's, there's crap going on there in, in, in the summertime. I mean, so, um, so I mean, it was, it was like a regular town, which was just really, really nice. We did some hiking, played some handball. Tell you what, if you want to see if you're in shape, play a game, a spirited game of handball up at that altitude and see if you can play. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a because uh, I was in really good shape, but it was it was a struggle. We went to Breckenridge, totally different game. It was all just a, a ski area, and uh, everybody basically lived in a trailer. And every night there'd be a bar that had, you know, dollar beers, and that bar was mobbed, and the next night it'd be another bar. So one night I'm talking to this lady, and she's in a social worker group. 
And she says, everybody like lives in a trailer. He said, in the summertime, the amount of uh, alcoholism and spousal abuse from both sides, guys whacking girls and girls whacking guys, he goes, it, it's out of control because nobody has a yeah. job all summer. I mean, it's a... Uh, I mean, in Steamboat, yeah. I mean, you can work on ranches. You can do all kinds of stuff. There's, it's a, there's a regular... There's an economy. But in Breckenridge, there wasn't. It was all skiing. Now, I'm sure now it's probably better. But, I mean, it's just... It, it, it's, it's, it never really ends, Carl. I mean, there's police people that have, like, nothing. I mean, I, I'd love to see just changing gears, but I just want to get you thinking on a bunch of different stuff. I know how to want to get some people out of this, ba- this last column for the, for the president to come out tomorrow and say that the pilots can fly another year. Well, it's, you know, part of the, yeah, except that, the, <laughs> can they, can they pass medicals right now? Well, but, I mean, mm-hmm. some guys won't be, that have been gone three and four years, the answer is probably no, but somebody, I mean, I, I never, I'd love to get an accounting, and I never will, how much money these airlines got to pay people, to keep them on the payroll, and then at the end of the day, they're short pilots because they forced them all to retire. What do they do, take the money and, and kick the people over to the retirement funds? Well, yeah, I mean, there's uh, the thing, you know, which one of the things, you know, what you were talking about earlier is that there's there's grift everywhere within every, you know, within every sector. Antitrust has become a joke. It's it is a criminal law carrying 10 years in the can for everybody involved in it. Uh, And yet there has I challenge you to find the find people who have actually gone to prison for a criminal antitrust violation. You, good luck. I tried to look it up a number of years ago. I couldn't find a single person they throw in jail in the last 50 years. If you Not did, it'd be, if you did, he'd be, he'd be non-Caucasian from out of the country. He'd be some guy from Hong Kong or something. Yeah, I mean, it just it, it just doesn't happen. And yet the, the statute was there. It's just not enforced. It's ignored on purpose. And, and you know, I mean, look, take, a look, take a look at what's going on in corporate America today, generally. Okay, all the, the 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 DEI, which I call DIE, um, and and ESG and all this other stuff, and and the it, how it's translating into what you're seeing at the gas pump and gas prices. Never mind, we're building LNG terminals up the yin yang. Well, natural gas in the United States is is skyrocketing, which of course is going to hit your fuel. You know that that hits your heating cost, right, as well as your power. Shut down all the coal plants because oh my god we can't do that and and at the same time you you know you double the cost of the fuel for the ones that are that are online what do you think is going to happen to everybody's power bill and and you look at this and why is it that all these corporations have willingly enacted these policies as part of their corporate charters and part of what they do whether it be DEI or ESG stuff and and you go ask the average schlub on the street who owns stock. Which you know, huge number of people do through their four hundred one k's, their four threes, and whatever. Um, would, do you support corporate policies that double the cost of your gasoline? And the answer, every single, and, and you know, put twenty percent on the price of your food. The answer from every one of those people is going to be absolutely not, no effing way. And do you know why it happens across every single company that's publicly traded, and every one of them has a diversity officer, and every one of them has an ESG department, everyone. The reason is, all that stock that you own, you can't vote because it's in an ETF, and BlackRock and Vanguard are voting it, and therefore the five guys that run those two companies get to decide what every single firm in the United States has to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a massive problem on every scale you look at, Carl. And I, and I don't, I don't well, know I know, but I'm saying, you know, I mean, you think about how all this happened, 
Okay, it didn't happen in two weeks. It didn't happen when Joe Biden got elected. It's been going on for 40, 50 years. Why, why do the uh, conservatives, and I, I count you in there, you're, the thing of it is, the conservatives that I know, guys like you and Kevin, you don't, you don't, you don't take this capitalist party line and say everything's okay. Just let these guys do what they want. You understand that there's a lot of there's a lot of problems with the current. Well, lose the one who said it probably the best. I, he goes, we don't have a capitalist system. We have a fascist system in virtually every industry. Well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, you, you were talking earlier about this thing with the, you know, with the property tax situation in Chicago, which is going to happen to every single large city in the United States, okay? And, and that BlackRock is capitalizing. How is BlackRock getting away with that? Okay, well, the same way they're getting away with making every single corporation in the United States have an ESG program that, that puts 20% on their input costs. Well, you've got a, a corporate board system that is that is totally broken. It's been broken forever. Yeah, but you know what? I can't... But yes and no. Chief, I can't vote. You know, I, I own some individual equities, right? So every, you know, every time that there's a book, you know, there's a, a annual shareholders meeting, I get the proxies and I can, you know, and I can vote the proxies. But if I own, if I own VFINX, which is Vanguard's S&P 500 index, or I own, you know, one of the other ETFs out there. I don't get to vote any of those shares. No, but I, 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 I was under the impression, again, uh, boy, as you know, I, I, I make a habit out of being wrong. I was under the impression that mutual funds and ETFs traditionally did not vote. Well, who says they can't, though? I didn't, oh, I didn't, I didn't say they can't. I said traditionally I thought that they, they their their shtick was that they either they either didn't vote or they went with, they went with the, they voted the, uh, the board members that were recommended by the company. They always well, okay. Well, isn't that isn't that essentially a monopoly? You know what? If the people, how many people? You know, everyone says, "Oh, you know, the investor class is this tiny little." No, it's not. All of the teachers, all of the firefighters, all the cops—they all four hundred three bs or four hundred one ks. Most of America has some kind of interest in some way or another in the equity market, one right. way or another. Oh, yeah. And it's all through. It, it is all through these programs now, which are tax privileged. And okay, that's fine. Except, not. I'm willing to bet you that not one schlub on the street who has money in the market today would tell you that they are all for these policies, given that they radically raise the cost of operation and therefore raise the price of everything you buy. I don't think most people that own stock would, would approve any of the pay raises these guys have gotten in the last thirty. Well, that, yeah, that too. Okay, I mean, would would you approve the you know the company that gets? Uh, oh, gee, we we had a terrible year last year, but we're doubling the payroll executives. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody would vote for for stock buybacks. They'd vote for dividends. Well, yeah, but see, but you don't get. To, we have corrupted the premise of public company ownership, which is that you are an owner of the firm. Oh, we've, we've totally corrupted it, and I, I think we've destroyed that. And the check and balance that's supposed to come from that is gone. It now it now rests in the hands of a half dozen schlubs from three or four companies that run all these mutual funds and ETFs. Um, I think the, the people up, I think the people up top are just as powerful. You know what? Let's let's get, let's talk about that more on Friday because now you got me thinking as usual. Uh, so the report was. Uh, Okay, but not not great is what you're saying. We'll, we'll, we'll talk yeah, about well, that it, more wasn't, it, it, it on its face was good. Okay, the the unadjusted numbers 
showed a very large gain. However, all but 30,000 of the job gains came from people that came back into the workforce that were out. So the question becomes, why did they do that? And that's not able to be... And, and by the way, the bifurcation that is that I've been screaming about for the last 10-plus years, where the gains all came from people that don't have high school diplomas and people that have bachelors, everyone in the middle got screwed. That's been going on for over a decade now. All right, let's kick it around. we got to go. It's terrible for the long-term health of the economy and the long-term health of the country, but that's what's going on. We don't have a blue-collar industry anymore. No. We don't have an a ordinary working schlub. We have people who have to pay, you know, $100,000, $200,000 to get a credential that may not be worth anything in order to get a job. And then we have the guy who's a ditch digger, and he doesn't make enough money to live. So, you know, the, the chick that's working at Albertsons over here, I don't know where, I don't know how she manages to keep her head above water. Um, Everybody maybe, else lost ground. Maybe. Those, that's where all the, where the gains came from last month, and that's been, but that's been going on for 10 years. That's not a new pattern. I just talked to her. What She's I'm, looking to you, looking to see you as her future ex-husband. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but I, I'm I'm worried about the, the you know, if this is all forced entry into back back into the job market, then what it says is that the level of stress in the economy among the average Joe who's out there is rising extremely rapidly I'm, because this just showed up in one month. And if this continues for another month or two, you're going to see an all-on economic collapse come out of this in terms of consumer demand. Well, let's uh, let's tee that up on Friday because I, I have some of the same suspicions. I just didn't articulate them as well. Let's be up 44, as if he's up 190. Thank you, Betty. Carl, thank you for doing the Monday stuff. Hope you're not too stiff from your race. Talk to you on Friday. Be right back tomorrow morning. Start to Jacks. Hey, guys. What's up, G? Want to go to Chachki's? Get some coffee? A little early. I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.